0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Prince Andrew is driven to church by Prince William, the anniversary of Princess Diana's death approaches, and Prince Harry prepares to release a new Netflix documentary. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's Chief Royal Correspondent, and this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the show. Prince Andrew is the royal scandal that will not go away. Now, obviously, despite quitting public life, he remains a member of the family on a personal level. And so he was up at Balmoral in Scotland where Prince William gave him a lift to church. Now, the royals always holiday in Balmoral in Scotland. Uh, it's where they were all, uh, obviously, apart from Harry and Meghan, um, together last summer in the weeks leading up to the Queen's death. So this has been an emotional time for them, I'm sure, Um Needless to say, they all went to church on Sunday and photographers were present and they got a picture of uh, Prince Andrew in the front seat of the car uh, with Prince William driving and Kate was in the back seat. So you know, it's answer to some a simple car journey. You know, what's the controversy in that? But of course, a picture tells a thousand words, and this one shows that the royals are still all very much on speaking terms with Andrew, despite the serious allegations against him. He, of course, denies that he sexually assaulted Virginia Jeffrey in New York, in London, and in the U.S. Virgin Islands, a kind of 2001 time. Um, but he turned down the opportunity to prove his case in court. She obviously sued him in the civil courts in New York and. And she made really serious allegations that she was forced to have sex with him by Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell and that she feared for her safety. She potentially even feared death if she declined. Um, so he, he denies all this, and, but he did pay an out-of-court settlement. Um, and in the process acknowledged that she was a sex trafficking victim. Um, So there's a couple of dimensions to this whole thing. One is, it's the age old question, are we witnessing an attempt at a comeback by Prince Andrew? It feels like we've been here many, many times before. He has tried and he has tried again. Um, One really interesting dimension to this though, is it came just days after an email was leaked to The Sun. Um, It was from a former UK Home Secretary, Priti Patel, and it kind of discussed the prospect of reinstating Prince Andrew's police security. This is estimated to cost an approximate amount of £3 million to the UK taxpayer, so that would be a little under $4 million. So one theory here would be that the palace wanted to kind of send Andrew out with William to see whether it triggered a scandal or not. And if it did, how big that scandal would be and whether the monarchy could survive it. Well, you know, if that was the idea, they certainly picked a perfect moment because UK news outlets um, are on in the middle of a long, slow summer with little news to report on apart from events in Russia and Ukraine. Um, And there was a backlash, including, you know, there were headlines all across the UK newspapers, debates on morning news shows and all of that kind of stuff. Most UK outlets presented this as a kind of show of family unity and an indication that William had softened his attitude to his uncle. Uh, William was always seen as the kind of driving force behind the decision to strip Prince Andrew of his titles and push him out in the cold and kind of slam the door on him a little bit. There have been a few moments when Andrew was kind of denied a moment in the limelight, um, Garter Day, processions and things like that. And William was seen always as a driving force behind the tough line that the monarchy took. Um, So does that mean that we're seeing a Prince Andrew comeback? Now, I don't actually think that is what we're seeing, at least not in terms of the question of whether he will make a return to public life, to being a working royal. Um, But there are, of course, other issues. So, um, since it came so soon after the story about his security in the sun, there is also the prospect that this had something to do with uh, whether British taxpayers should be prov- bankrolling his Metropolitan Police bodyguards. In other words, should he get his police team back? It may have been a kind of PR uh, offensive to kind of show him. As being partially rehabilitated, not in in view, not in, in an effort to get him to return to being a working royal, but just to get him as far as having metropolitan police protection. That would obviously be controversial. Harry doesn't currently have metropolitan police protection, and he has complained bitterly about that, including by suing the UK Home Office in the British courts. Andrews were obviously taken away from him. He no doubt wants them back. Um, So in a simple sense, it's also worth noting at the outset that, I mean, to offer a kind of a more simple explanation that doesn't involve any kind of media positioning, it is also hypothetically possible that the main thing going on here was simply that Andrew wanted to be shielded by proximity to William. So William obviously does have police protection. He's the next king. Um, And by going into the car with William, Andrew would be under the umbrella of William's police protection detail. Um, So, you know, hypothetically, it could potentially be that that's all that's happening here, except it kind of doesn't feel like it can be that simple, because there's still the question of William's willingness to help, you know, to put his own reputation on the line in the process. Now, the royals are regularly photographed going to church at Balmoral. It happens a lot. And Prince Andrew has been photographed numerous times coming and going from Balmoral. So it cannot be any surprise at all to the royals that these pictures took place and You know, they must have known there was a risk this would happen. So if William didn't want to be seen helping out his disgraced uncle, then, you know, Andrew could, for example, have sat on the back seat. It would have been harder to get them both in the same frame if Andrew was on the back seat and William was on the front seat. Um, in this case though it was actually Kate who was relegated to the back seat while Andrew sat next to William so that does feel like there's a kind of closeness and a warmth there you know most people who felt uncomfortable about the prospect of giving a lift to the sexual assault accused uncle would probably want their wife by their side and stick the awkward guy in the back almost like he's a passenger in a taxi you know if that's if that's the kind of image you want to project I'm just literally giving him a lift because he needs a lift then stick him in the back seat like a passenger in a taxi but the person in the front seat next to the driver is the person who's most likely to be having polite conversation with them. You know, that's much more personal. It's much more kind of warm seat to give somebody. Um, and so by relegating Princess of Wales to the back seat and having Andrew alongside him, William also made it a virtual certainty that Andrew would be seen as long as there were photographers there. You know, you only need to look at the actual pictures that ran in newspapers like the Daily Mail and the Daily Telegraph, you know, big royalist newspapers. And you you know, Kate's kind of like the, a little face in the background that you're seeing in between two chairs. Um, she's much harder to see and harder to make out than Andrew, who's crystal clear in the front. But you know, I still like I said, I don't think this is actually a full blown comeback in the old fashioned sense. And the reason is that the country is just so resolutely against Andrew. You know, there's a scandal every time he does this. But more to the point, you know, what, what work would he do? Like, let's say Andrew came back, what charity would want him to visit them? You know, the day-to-day life of a working royal is about going all around the country, visiting good causes, trying to bolster the success of really kind of meaningful, hard-working charities. But any good cause that he's going to visit would be left kind of Sickened by his this cloud of radioactivity that he takes everywhere he goes, you know, there would be similar negative headlines and bad stories about them. So, I guess you could say, all right, well, maybe you just give him a military role, like you restore his relationship with the Royal Navy or the Grenadier Guards, or whoever it might be, you give that to Andrew, and then it's only an armed forces regiment or whatever it may be that. That has to deal with this. But, like, it's still the question remains why would they want to? Like, why would any part of the British Armed Forces want to have this figurehead who's so mired in such a toxic, toxic controversy? It just wouldn't work. And it would be delusional to even entertain the idea. So, what then is happening? Well, you know, I do think that the most likely explanation here of all the ones that we've considered is that this is about trying to get Andrew's police team reinstated. You know, that is what leaked to the sun in the week, days before these pictures emerged. Um, Maybe, you know, the royals don't want to pay for Andrew to have private security. Maybe Andrew can't afford to pay. Um, now, it's hard to say to answer any of these questions for sure, partly because all matters relating to royal security and royalty protection are kept extremely secret for a very good reason, which is that the royals consider it to be potentially damaging to their security to have any discussion of royal protection. Any stories in the papers any news stories about royal security are almost kind of like adverts for the idea that they could be a potential target that theory goes along the lines that let's say you're a would-be terrorist and you see all these stories about somebody's police protection then that jogs your kind of you know jogs your memory jogs your ideas and makes you think oh well hmm yeah okay maybe they could be a potential target maybe i could make them a target that's the theory so you know, the royals just don't want any discussion at all about royal protection arrangements. So it does seem like the most straightforward example to me. But there is still one other, one other issue that's really important to discuss here because it's all very well and good to say that Andrew maybe wants this and it's great for him. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's perfectly happy. He's got the pictures in the paper of him with the future king and that all looks rosy. But what's in this for William and Kate? You know, they've still been pictured in the car alongside the most hated royal family member in Britain or America. Much more hated than Prince Harry and and Meghan, no matter how low their reputations might be in Britain. And, you know, this looks terrible for William and Kate. Um, Andrew had every chance to prove his innocence and his initial efforts of fighting back through the courts uh, involved trying to get the New York Child Victims Act ruled unconstitutional, despite the fact that it helped thousands of victims seek justice through the civil courts. His lawyers put into evidence news stories describing his accuser as a money hungry sex kitten, you know, and then he settled and he was forced to admit she was in fact a sex trafficking victim. His explanations for his friendship with Epstein were absurd from his claim he couldn't sweat to his account of spending the night in Epstein's New York mansion because he was too honourable to break up their friendship by phone. So this is a man who, even before these allegations came to light, was he was nicknamed his buffoon highness by diplomats while representing Britain as a trade envoy because he went down so badly with Every well, or with a huge number of foreign dignitaries, the very ones he was supposed to be charming. So, you know, William's got his own problems. He's, he's got he's had multiple race scandals, uh, over the past few years since Oprah, where he's been called up on things he said, whether it was about war seeming unnatural in Europe or whether it was about uh, the impact of human population in Africa on the climate. You know, there have been a number of things that he was picked up on. Um, And, you know, this is a time when privilege has gone fast out of fashion, not just in um, Britain, but, you know, across the democratic world. And so I think this is an appalling misjudgment from William at a time when he and Kate really are the epicentre of royal popularity. They poll much better than Charles and Camilla. They're the most popular living royals on both sides of the Atlantic. I mean, a princess Anne is kind of up and around the same. She sometimes does actually poll better than William and sometimes the reverse. But needless to say, you know, they are the most high profile, most talked about, most written about, um, and most... You know they they are the most popular royals, um, alongside Princess Anne. Um, So uh, why let the uh, the toxic toxic reputation of someone like Prince Andrew taint the most popular royal couple? Uh, The you know it's a poisonous association to have, and it's not going to do the royals any favors. You know, polling by YouGov in January gave Andrew a net approval rating of minus seventy nine. Just 7% of British people said they liked him compared to 86% who disliked him. And, you know, the time has long passed for the royal family to realise how toxic Andrew is and preserving William and Kate's appeal to the public is far more important than whatever self-indulgent project Andrew is on or goal he might have, whatever is currently consuming him. So I think this is definitely a time for the royals to see with clarity what's important and what isn't. And um, William and Kate's reputations is far more important than Prince Andrew's. And on that note, I'm going to take a quick break. But before I do, just a reminder to rate and review The Royal Report on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you get your favorite shows. And when I'm back, August is a sad time of year for the Royals, and we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that, unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the show. Now, the royals will have spent the summer remembering their last weeks with the Queen before she passed away last September. But before we mark the one-year anniversary of Charles's accession, we are about to reach the anniversary of Princess Diana's death. How um, Harry and William's mother died in a car crash in Paris on August the thirty-first, nineteen ninety-seven. So, this is obviously going to be a really difficult time of year for William and Harry. They're going to have that alongside all of their grief that is still really fresh about the Queen. Um, but, I mean, yeah, this this month, I think, will always stir up memories for them um, about that day 26 years ago when Charles broke the news to them that Diana had been involved in a crash and hadn't survived. Harry obviously describes that in his book in spare. Uh, some people may have read this section. It was also very widely reported on at the time that he kind of lay alone in his room, in his bedroom, potentially for, for hours afterwards, after Charles had kind of sat him down and broke this awful news. and. Harry obviously refused to believe it, not just in the moment, but for many years after. He, afterwards, he talked himself into the idea that Diana may have faked her own death and may secretly be alive somewhere. And, you know, what followed the actual crash itself was a period of unprecedented national mourning in the UK. That whole era is going to feature in the latest and final series of The Crown that will be out, be out in November, and it will some way show the death itself although we're told that it's going to be tactfully done so i don't know if they're going to go down the route maybe of sort of showing the car going into the tunnel but not the crash itself we'll have to see when it finally comes out Um, And, you know, most importantly, this tragedy was a moment of trauma for Harry and William. They were children at the time. Harry was 12, William was 15. Um, I do also want to talk a little bit, though, about some of the conspiracy theories that happened at the time. I don't know if The Crown is going to go into this or not. We might see that it does, or they might just think it's too controversial and, and, and avoid the whole conspiracy theory issue. But I want to talk a little bit about it, because I think some of them do still carry a lot of weight and people still entertain the idea that foul play might have been involved in diana's death so she died alongside her boyfriend at the time Dodi fired and it was dodie's father muhammad al-fired big 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 businessman in britain um, who owned harrods at the time um, who he accused prince philip of ordering british security services to murder princess diana and he suggested that the motive was to stop her from having a muslim baby with Dodie. So the Metropolitan Police investigated these allegations. It was called Operation Padgett and it discounted this theory that Diana was murdered. Um, there were some completely extraordinary dimensions to this. It came out that Princess Diana genuinely believed in life, that she would be assassinated in a car crash, and believed, actually as viewers of the Crown may know, because it was, it was actually in the last, uh, last series, she believed that her brakes were tampered with. Um, and her fears were, they came out publicly through a really reliable source, which was her lawyer Lord Mishkon, um, who said that he'd had a meeting with her and her private secretary at the time Patrick Jepsen, in which she had said a, you know, a reliable source had come to her to say that she was in danger and um, he did say he wasn't totally sure whether Diana believed this herself but you know this was something she legitimately genuinely did say and she cited car crash as a potential method Um, And then, you know, an MI6 spy or an ex-MI6 spy, um, apparently disgruntled ex-MI6 spy, came forward to assert that Princess Diana had been murdered by agents of the British government who shone a bright light into uh, the driver Henry Paul's eyes, temporarily blinding him and rendering him unable to swerve and miss the 13th pillar of the Pont de Lauma Tunnel. Ultimately, though, the claims were steeped in conspiracy and didn't really match the evidence that the police had collected at the scene. So, to take that bright light theory, which was one of the most famous ones, um, it was looked at in the context as well of some eyewitness testimony about paparazzi flashbulbs, but physical evidence from the crash scene, but you know, tire marks on the road, bits of debris, and that kind of thing, um, showed that Henry Paul actually lost control of the car before he entered the tunnel. And so that means any bright light shone inside the tunnel could not have initiated the crash because it was already underway when she went into the dark environment in which it was suggested that this bright light was shone in Henry Paul's eyes. So that, that was the ruling anyway, that was the product of the investigation done by the British police at the time. Now, Alfred had also asserted a number of other things. He said that Princess Diana's body was embalmed against proper procedure without a pregnancy test taking place, which prevented him from proving that she was pregnant with Dodie's baby. Um, But it was suggested in the Operation Paget report that there was no reason for the post-mortem examination to include a pregnancy test. You know, the purpose of a post-mortem examination is to determine how a person has died. And it was clear that Princess Diana had died from injuries in the crash. So to conduct a pregnancy test would have been a kind of bizarre departure from procedure. The assertion that Dodi's status as a Muslim man inspired the murder also is difficult to justify it was very early on in the relationship and a number of people who were very close to Diana at the time felt that the relationship was not serious but perhaps most importantly of all Diana had another relationship with a Muslim man, the surgeon Hasnag Khan. Again, viewers of The Crown may well remember him from the last series. And she was far closer to him. In fact, a number of people who were in Diana's inner circle felt like that actually really was the kind of true love relationship and that Dodi was a kind of summer fling because the relationship by that point with Hasnag Khan had broken down. So there was genuinely talk of marriage between her and Hasnag Khan. Uh, during their two year relationship, and Khan was never assassinated. You know, there's no car accident involving them was ever arranged. So in the end, the inquest recorded a verdict of unlawful killing by gross negligent driving, both by Henry Paul, the chauffeur, um, and also the paparazzi photographers who followed behind them. The jury also noted the fact Diana and Dodie were not wearing seatbelts, the fact Henry Paul was over the drink drive limit at the time, and the fact the car hits a pillar in the tunnel and not something else, such as a crash barrier. I want to pause here just for a minute to explain something about inquests um, because Harry brings this up in spare and he describes the inquest as a joke and he kind of casts aspersions on some of the of one of the final written reports and its conclusions. Um, Now, obviously, this is his mother and he has absolutely every right to hold strong opinions. And if he wants to express them, then fair enough. But for what it's worth... I personally think he's a little unfair on the inquest. Um, So he talks about how if there was any justice, the paparazzi photographers would have gone to prison. Um, But that's actually nothing to do with the inquest process, which is not a criminal investigation. The Paris police conducted the criminal investigation into the paparazzi it's a quite unusual uh, criminal justice system in France. It's, uh, in both Britain and America, we have what's called an adversarial system where the prosecution and defence go against each other head to head. In France, they have an inquisitorial one where a, a judge leads the investigation and works with the police from day one. So the, uh, the judge in, in that investigation um, concluded basically that there was insufficient evidence to charge any of the paparazzi photographers this, and made that decision way back in the 1990s. Part of the reasoning was you know there were there was evidence that bikes were in the tunnel that bikes were following her but there was no evidence about what specific individuals were on those bikes so there was no basis to pursue a criminal trial against a particular person Um, you know you would have to know specifically which paparazzi you were holding responsible But by contrast, inquests, uh, they're not about criminal liability. Um, They are held to answer four questions. Who died, when they died, where they died, and how they died. And that is all. Um, Essentially, it's about learning lessons so that society can be a better place in the future. So if you look at it from that point of view, I can actually definitely see why the jury reached the verdict they did the paparazzi should not have been chasing Diana, um, and they should absolutely not have photographed her as she lay dying in the car, which they did do. That, that happened. Um, it's also true, though, that people who drive and protect public figures should not speed or drive recklessly in order to escape the paparazzi, no matter how awful the experience being photographed is. You know, you know Harry, he obviously hates the paparazzi in part because of what happened with his mother, but it does sound like he really does genuinely hate the experience of being being photographed too, and fair enough. But um, it is a legitimate lesson for the people who protect royal family members and other celebrities to remember that it's not worth dying over. And of course, people shouldn't drink and they should wear seatbelts. So every aspect of the inquest verdict speaks to a legitimate lesson for society from Princess Diana's death. Now, none of that, of course, makes it any less painful for Harry and William. And that is totally fair enough. Um, But that was the purpose of the inquest. And in my view, I think, honestly, that it fulfilled its purpose. Um, And on that note, I'm going to take one more quick break. But before I do, a reminder to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jack underscore Royston, and you will find all my latest stories for Newsweek. And when I'm back, we are on the cusp of a new Prince Harry project. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Prince Harry is, as I record this, hours away from the release of his new Netflix documentary, Heart of Invictus. Uh, In fact, depending on when you catch up on the Royal Report, it may already be out. Um, There was a trailer in mid-August which focused squarely on the competitors, on Harry's relationship with them, and all the kind of inspirational aspects of Invictus, which is a kind of Olympic-style tournament for injured servicemen and women. It's like the Paralympics, but it's particularly focused on the armed forces. Um, Now, what I'm looking for from the Netflix documentary is a sign that Harry can gain audience for projects that don't include royal bombshells and soap opera beef and all of that kind of stuff that we associate with his book with the first Netflix project, which was called Harry and Meghan with the Oprah Winfrey interview. And with a whole load of other stuff they've done. Um, So in other words, is he going to take a swipe at the palace and his family? And if he does, will it damage his reputation in the same way that Spare damaged his reputation? But if he doesn't, can he achieve the commercial success of his other projects of Harry and Meghan, of, you know, Meghan's archetypes, Spotify podcast, the episodes that had a swipe at the palace in them did much better in audience terms than the other episodes. Oprah got a huge global audience of millions. And so, all of these things included some hand grenades at the Royals or the Palace or both. Their second Netflix project, by contrast, didn't. It was much more kind of straightforward and positive. It was called Live to Lead and it was completely uncontroversial but got a fraction of the attention. It was leased in December and I would honestly forgive you if you had not even heard of it. That's how little coverage it got. So Hearts of Invictus has had a much bigger build-up, and it feels like a lot more work has gone into it than Live to Lead. Um, It's obviously also a cause that's really, really personal for Harry, really close to his heart. It's his tournament, he launched it, and it's probably his most successful project. So if Harry pulls this off, without attacking the Royals, he he can kind of silence the critics who say people only care when he's piling in on his family. Um, But if he plays it straight and he gets no viewers, potential future media partners may well look at that and reassess Harry and Meghan's value as producers. So the stakes are high here. And on my next show, we can pick over exactly what he does include and how it went down with the public. Um, But for now, uh, that is it for this week's episode of The Royal Report. Be sure to join me every week when I visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Jack Royston. Thanks for listening, everyone, and a curtsy to you all. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.